Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. I'm bringing a message to you today. It's called um, Not My Own, Not Your Own. And just think of that last song, The Breath, It's Your Breath in Us. You know, that indicates something about it's, it's not our breath. We, we, something changes when we become one of God's. Can I read to you two passages? The first is Romans 4, 7 to 8. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 21. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. I love the rich diversity of this church. We've got uh, ages from the zeros uh, up to, I know we've got 90s, uh, at least on the, on the books. I don't know whether they're here today, but... Even here, we've got nationalities, we've got cultures, there's so much diversity. Sometimes it'll be interesting to talk to different families and see, how do you you guys do prayer? How do you do Bible readings at home Uh, in your childhood? How did you do church? And I think everyone would have something different to say. Um, But it's the bringing of that together here that makes us so unique. We're united by our belief in Jesus Christ. I grew up in a Dutch heritage, and um, there's a lot of good things that came with that from uh, Solder Droppies and Oli Bolon and uh, Hachelslach and a whole bunch of different things. That's chocolate sprinkles. Um, one of the things we used to say a lot amongst our groups was, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. <laughs> <laughs> I tried and I tried to find a Bible verse that would support that, but there's just nothing at all. Um, another thing that I did uh, remember in thinking about this was going to what was called catechism classes. Uh, and they're a bit like a structured small group, um, typically at church, and would go through a document called the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, now, that sounds old, and, and it is. It's, it was written 500-odd years ago. And it's essentially a summary of the Bible's main teachings. And it's written in a a question and answer format. I think there's 129 question and answers. But it was designed or written uh, so that um, various communities would be able to preach and teach from it. Uh, They might not have their own pastor in some of these different areas. Uh, I'd love to read the first question and the first answer to you. And that's what I'd like to look at today. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer that that question one has is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact... All things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. 
I find that question thought-provoking. What is your only comfort? And when we think of the word comfort, again, everybody would have a different answer. What's comfort to you? Is it sitting in a hot bath? Is it sitting in front of a fire, having watching a movie? Sometimes my comfort at the moment is when the kids are in bed <laughs> and we can <laughs> watch well, that alone. But reading a book and having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. But if we extend that question, what comforts you? You know, that's different just what's comfort, what comforts you. And maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a warm hug. I've got an uncle who, whenever I see him, he gives me this full body embrace. It's not just a hug or a side hug, but it's, you know, you nearly become one in this, this massive bear hug. Uh, and it, it's so comforting, it's, it's beautiful. Maybe it's music, food, flowers. Uh, on that list has to be a, a puppy or a dog. You know, as a kid, they'll, if you're crying or upset, they'll just come and sit their head on your, head on your lap and they don't, they can't say anything. They, they don't, they're just there. Their presence is really comforting. That's cool, but the question was, what's your only comfort? Now, that's a key word. What's your only comfort? If you had to choose one comfort forever, what would it be? I'm not a historian or a linguist, but I did look into the history of the word comfort. And, and it draws its roots back from uh, Latin. And two parts to it, there's come and fought. And the fort part, you know, think of a fort, you play, or, or a castle, or fortitude. It's got its uh, root tied up in, in the word strength. So it's, it's being strong or having strength in the presence of a trouble. It's someone standing with you, and that person makes you strong. It's a courage to live bracely, bracely, bravely and to face troubles. Another way to think of it, uh, of comfort, is a good thing that takes care of a bad situation. A little while ago, Amos, our three-year-old, had a bad dream and uh, quite distressed. And it's, I, although I don't like getting up, I do like going and giving him a cuddle and being able to comfort him. He, the bad dream that he had was this bad thing and I was able to give him comfort and be the good thing. He later told me that the bad dream was that mummy was eating his green icy pole. <laughs> I had to console him a lot. But that's how it is with us. A good thing is taking care of our bad situation. What's the bad situation? We're sinners in a sinful world. And on our own, we're lost and we're separated from God. But the good thing, the good thing, our strength and our comfort as Christians is what we hear in the gospel. John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. That's our salvation, right? That's talking about our salvation. But we can expand on that a little bit too. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 21 again. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore, honour God with your bodies. And Romans 14.8, so whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Can you see a, a slight pattern or logic developing in those three verses? Salvation, and it's by grace alone. We were bought at a price, and that means that I'm not my own anymore. And the result is that we belong now to Christ. So the answer that is proposed to what is your only comfort 
is that we belong to Jesus through salvation. We were bought at a price and now we belong to him. It's true for every, every single Christian that ever has been, ever will be, in any country, in any language. And that's, that's one universal truth, that we belong to Jesus Christ. I'd like to go through the answer, just little bit by little bit, and, and have a look at what our only comfort really means to us today. What is your only comfort? The first bit, that I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul to Jesus Christ. So firstly, we belong to Christ, not just a bit, but our whole being, our body and soul. The unseen and the seen, it all belongs to Jesus Christ. We're rescued and then we're adopted, and now we carry his name. I find that really comforting, that if I belong to him, then I am his. But it also mean that, that means that he is mine. And that ultimate comfort of belonging to someone bigger and stronger than me, that no matter how small I feel, no matter what trouble I'm in or facing, I am his. And I belong to the creator of everything. The second part, what is your only comfort? That I belong to Christ in life and in death. So we belong to Christ forever. Our belonging starts from the second that we give our lives to God. And it simply doesn't end. It gives us confidence about our future because we are always, always his. In some movies there's a character who, who's going to face a timely or untimely death and they might call out to God in their, their last their last second, or they'll make peace with their maker. What a waste and what a shame that would be if we live our lives for ourselves, but only at the end we encounter God. Belonging to God is as relevant while we're living today as it is as when we're on our deathbeds. In fact, belonging to God takes away the fear of dying because we know that that belonging extends into eternity. The third part, what is your only comfort? That Christ has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. We belong to Christ because our sin and our debt is fully paid. It's not partially paid and we have to make up the rest. There's a lot of religions and beliefs that will tell you you have to do things. Faith in Jesus is not like that. It's done once and for all. Imagine if that happened with your mortgage. You know, the bank owns a bit of our house and we've got to keep paying it off. But what if somebody paid it off in one bulk sum once and for all? The, the word I feel is liberating. That would be pretty cool. Well, in the same way, Jesus took our mortgage of sin and he paid it off. It's purchased, we are purchased and we're delivered. And there's nothing left to be done. The fourth part. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. So belonging to Christ also means being cared for. We know that God's in control and that he cares for us. Rose, you were talking about the, the, that peace that passes all understanding, that transcends all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense unless you know where that peace comes from. You know, God wants a relationship with us. He created us in his image. 
He created us to love and he created us to love him. Each one of us is equally important to God to the point that not even a hair can fall from our head without him knowing about it. Amen to that. But it also means we can live with resilience because we know that through Jesus all things work together for our salvation. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy, but it does mean that God is always working for us, always working for our good, and always working for his purposes in us and for us. The fifth part, what is your only comfort? Well, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. What does this mean? This is a little bit, this is a little bit harder to describe. But it's that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That is not some superstitious good luck charm or something that we just say Christian lingo, that we've got the Holy Spirit with us. It's the real thing that we have the Holy Spirit, that third part of God living in us. It's a bit like living in a 2D world, not knowing Christ. But when you add in Christ or you come to know Christ, there's this third dimension, a spiritual dimension that is as real as what we see here. And we're never alone. In the context of comfort, the Holy Spirit encourages us, it teaches us, it helps us, it assures us, and it reminds us that we are saved. Can you start to see that belonging to God is a comfort? And I I pray that you guys do know that for yourself. The comfort. And if you don't, we'd love to talk about it with you afterwards. But there's one more point in this question and the answer. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. And here it is, and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. There's a theologian, uh, a contemporary theologian, Tim Keller, and he summarises a, a bit of this in a, in, a, in a way that goes like this. Uh, He explains it as the motive and principle for living a Christian life. Our motive for living a Christian life is God sent his son to save us by grace and to adopt us into his family. Therefore, because of that grace, now in gratitude, we want to resemble our father. That's what motivates us. It's gratitude in response to our salvation. That's That's the motive. The principle then for living a Christian life and the principle being how do we do it day to day? Well, we don't live to please ourselves as if we belong to ourselves because we don't belong to ourselves. We're not our own but we belong to Christ. What does that mean? Well, living for Christ is living in obedience. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong anymore. We gave up that right when we accepted him. And instead we submit and we choose to rely on his word. And there's a freedom in that. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and a refreshment for your body. I love that, that sometimes not obeying God is thinking that we know better. And that's leaning on our own understanding. 
But often our paths are going to get all warped because of that. But here God promises that he will make our paths straight. And that fearing God and obeying him will be healing for our flesh and a refreshment for your body. Believe it or not, the call to obedience is for our benefit. Our creator God knows what's best for us. And through obedience, he allows us to grow in an understanding of his heart and his desire for us, but also for the world that we live in. I think a lot of people think of obeying God as laboursome and that we have to do it to prove something or to earn something. But it's the way that we show love to him. But it's also the way that God shows love to us because he knows what works for us and he's trying to get us to know him better. Uh, And we understand his heart and his desire by doing that. We also stop putting ourselves first. Now, the world tells us that's the wrong way around. You've got to do what pleases you. They'll disguise that with a whole lot of other other jargon, but essentially the world says, be selfish, it's about you. But when we live for Christ, we put first what pleases him. And that's followed by what loves our neighbour. Matthew 22, 36 and 40. Teacher, this was an expert in the law talking to Jesus, trying to catch him out. Which is the greatest commandment, he said, in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. The challenge here is that no part of our lives is is exempt from self-giving. I find that a challenge anyway. But I'd like to think of three ways that we can do this. The first way is to prepare yourselves by looking up. We can look up to Christ. We can remember the cross, remember that we were purchased and redeemed by his blood. We can spend time with God through reading and praying, fellowship, which is what we're doing here. And when we sing, remember that we're singing to God, but we're also singing to ourselves and telling each other about the goodness of God. And all of that can help us be intentionally grateful. My, my dad had a, has a saying, and he talks about the attitude of gratitude. And I think it's true. If you have an attitude of gratitude for our salvation... I think you'll be amazed how much it'll open your eyes and doors for great service to him. The second way we can live for Christ is by looking in. Now, by looking in, I mean looking here in the body of Christ, looking to fellow Christians. We live for Christ by reminding each other of our salvation. Again, we're doing it here. We're building each other up. We're edifying each other. We also live for Christ by being willing and ready to put our boots on and to work together for the sake of the kingdom. Life's busy, we know that. We're all part of it. But imagine the impact we could have if we were really to mobilise as, as one body wholeheartedly. We're also called to be generous, remembering that we're not our own. Generosity, often we often think of financial giving, but it's a lot more than that. And the finance is important because it helps the church do work here. But 
you can be generous with your time, with your hospitality, your care, your affection for each other, being intentional about going out of your way to love other people here. John 13, 34 and 35 says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think that's so true. If, we, if we're known for going out, of way, going out of our way for loving each other, that's going to go miles to being witnesses out in our community. Finally, we can live for Christ by looking out. And the Great Commission in Matthew 28 Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because we belong to Christ, we're adopted by Him, we're part of His family, we're also part of His kingdom. And now we're working with God and for God to further his kingdom. No matter who you are, what you do, what your occupation is or was, that's our ultimate goal, is to further his kingdom. We're sinners and we're saved by grace. And we've got a duty to share that gospel. You know, know the gospel literally is the good news. Sometimes it's easier to say, let's share the good news, than it is the gospel. I think we can find it daunting. But it is. It's the good news that we're sharing. All in all, we belong to him. Now we know how the story ends as well. Belonging to Christ means being on the winning side. It means a certain victory and, and we've got nothing to lose. That sounds a lot like comfort to me. It's not a guarantee that life is going to be easy. In fact, it'll probably get harder. But I'd love to finish by reading Romans 8, 31 to 39 as the team comes back. And this is a well-known passage called More Than Conquerors. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written... For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I find that comforting can we pray God thank you that we belong to you thank you that Jesus death on the cross was sufficient to pay for our debt God we rest in the comfort and the knowledge that our future is secure in you help gratitude shape my life and our lives every part of our lives and make us willing and ready 
from now on to live for you. Amen.